Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Well, on September 3rd, 2015, there was a hiker who was in the outskirts of Canberra, Australia. It's Canberra City outskirts. Uh, there's a picture of what the landscape looks like out there. Um, and September 3rd in Australia, summer, it's hot. He's tired. You keep flipping. Uh, there we go. That's, what kept, that's, that, that's where he's hiking. And uh, the funny thing is, it's just a normal hike, and, and yet he sees something out ahead that looks really strange to him. And he rubs his eyes a little bit. And he thinks, what is that? Looks like almost like there's this little cloud that was just hovering out in the bushes. Or like this cotton candy machine had gone out of control and was somehow out in the wilderness. And he's like, what is going on? And he goes a little closer and he's like, what? it's not really the desert. Like this can't be a mirage. And he goes a little closer And he goes a little closer, and he cannot believe his eyes, because this is what he sees. He at first couldn't even tell that it was a sheep, but it was one that could hardly move. He calls an animal service. Because he realizes this sheep does not look good. It can't move that well. It can hardly even get his face down to eat. And naturally, he names him Chris. Because Fluffy or Snowball were too obvious of names for this guy. <laughs> and so in Australia, sheep shearing is actually a professional sport. So if you want your kids to grow up doing that, you might have to move. But... They call in some sheep shears because they got to get this guy's wool off because they want him to be able to move again. And so they bring him in and these sheep experts estimated that this sheep had been lost from its flock for five to six years. It was wandering for five to six years. It had not had a haircut in five to six years. So you can show the next picture. They went after him, shearing and shearing and shearing. And this is why they bring in the top guy in the world for this. And there's enough wool from the sheep to make about 30 suits. And the wool from the sheep weighed 90 pounds. And afterwards, the sheep itself only weighed 97 pounds. And here's what Chris looks like, all back to normal, Notice the pink is not anything they did. It's an antiseptic after the the shearing. What a story, isn't that? Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. um, God, just excited excited to be in your presence, excited to be gathered here together. And God, just pray that um, you can touch our hearts, God, and you can just teach us one thing new. God, if we're wondering who you are, that that you would just show up in a new way this morning. 
God, we give you all the glory in advance. and Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you may know, sheep are mentioned in the Bible quite a few times. But the funny thing, and this is where God's sense of humor comes in, is that pretty much all the time sheep are mentioned, they are some sort of comparison to us. You like, you like that? Is that a little boost of confidence for you? And we tend to not like that comparison at all because sheep are usually seen as dumb animals, right? And yet, they're actually not dumb at all. They actually have brilliant brains. They just don't always use them in the right way. But sheep get this reputation because they're defenseless. Because they get themselves into predicaments that they can't get themselves out of. Like this guy, Chris. Because they follow the mob and when one sheep goes and gets into trouble, the other ones think, let's go too. One of these passages is Isaiah 53.6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Sometimes it's hard to hear this comparison. And one of the people groups that definitely would have not liked this comparison would be the Pharisees and the scribes. See, we're going to pick up today. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. There's not that much time left. And one of the things that we all know Jesus did is he spent time with sinners. He spent time healing the sick, teaching the lame to walk, healing the lepers, hanging out with Zacchaeus and the other tax collectors. And these Pharisees and scribes were gossiping about Jesus. They were saying, what, who is this guy that just hangs out with the lowest of the lows? And Jesus, hearing this, is prompted to tell three stories. Stories that we know to be called parables. And parables are just Jesus' way of putting an analogy on some of the mysteries of the kingdom of God in a way that you have to investigate a little bit in order to figure out what he really means by them. Because literally, anyone can understand them. But the secrets kind of behind them take a little bit. Take the ears to hear. And so Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. He tells the parable of the lost coin. And he finishes with probably the most well-known parable, the parable of the prodigal son. This parable is not just famous in the Christian world, but in the whole world. Rembrandt painted this. Um, Here's his depiction of the prodigal son. This painting, if it were to be sold today, would be worth about 100 to 120 more million dollars. Why is this such a famous story? It's one of those stories that we all can relate to. It's one of those stories where we all have been there. Unlike sometimes we read the Bible and God shows up to Moses through a burning bush. Or he shows up and he turns water into wine. Or the walls fall down. And we don't, we can hear that or we can imagine what it was like. But with this story... We all can relate to it. See, we're all born into sin. We're all born with a void in our hearts. A void that can kind of feel like loneliness, a lack of belonging. 
uncontrollable, uncontrollable behavior, emptiness. Almost like that sometimes there's this monster within that comes out of us. And we're like, whoa, <laughs> what's that? Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Right, parents, did you ever teach your children how to lie? I mean, it's possible they learned from your example, but more likely they got in trouble and realized they didn't want to be in trouble and found their own way out of it, right? Throughout life, we kind of are oftentimes found on this journey of what we call our journey in the pursuit of happiness. And it's in this light where we find the heart of the Son in this story. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to be this morning. We pick up the story of the prodigal son. And many of you have probably heard this before, but we get to do it again. Luke 15. It's the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's about two-thirds of the way through. We're going to pick up in Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. <laughs> Man, I could, read, I could read this story over and over again. It's so fascinating to me. The younger of them said to the father, give me the share of property. He tells his dad, dad, I wish you would die already so I could have my inheritance. And yet the father graciously gives his son his inheritance. This is a younger son, so he gets a third of what he had. And this father was wealthy. He had servants and livestock and all this. The father gives his son the opportunity to choose what he's going to do with his life. God doesn't always force us to follow him. So this son takes his knapsack of belongings on one shoulder and he liquidates all his inheritance, puts it into cash, puts it on a knapsack on the other shoulder and takes off and goes off in the distance. Essentially, life for this son under the care of his father was not good enough. He wanted to journey on his pursuit of happiness. And so he wanders off on his own. Yet Jesus warns us against this kind of living. He says, Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You know, for me, my prodigal ways kind of began in, in junior high. I grew up in a private Christian elementary school, and then I went to a public junior high, and that's where my world changed a lot. And I found myself not fitting in at all. I didn't have friends. I didn't belong. All these kids had grown up together, and I found myself on the outskirts. And for me, what I thought would fill this kind of void that was in my life would be that if I could be accepted, if I could fit in, if I could kind of gain popularity and be one of the crew. High school, I joined the football team, 
started to fit in a little bit, was invited to parties and things like that. And I thought, like, I was gaining some headway. I was, like, making some progress. You know, I thought if I could get a pretty girlfriend that then people would, would look up to me or things like that. Yeah, I never quite got there. I, I kind of found myself kind of working my way into, into the kind of friend groups, and yet I was usually always the first one to get left behind. And yet I know, looking back, that even if I had gained all that, that there would have still been a void in my life. And my pursuit would have still ended in emptiness. So here's what happens to the son. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Life turned against him. Runs out of money. His fair-weather friends desert him. Say, oh, you don't have money anymore. See you later. He ends up on a farm. Being a servant on the farm. It's interesting because it says he longs to eat the pods that these pigs ate. There's these carob pods. I have a picture of these carob pods up here. You've probably seen these. I actually think I saw a couple, whether they're exactly the same or slightly different species walking around yesterday. But you, we used to throw these at each other uh, as kids because they're kind of tough and they're hard and they've got these little seeds in them. But ground up, they can be uh, actually quite nutritious. You can use carob powder as like a chocolate substitute. But raw, they're brutal on your digestive system. You know those beef sticks that you can get at the gas station? Like take one of those... And, and stuff it with corn nuts and then leave it out for a month and let it kind of harden and then try and start eating it. That's what eating these carob pods would have been like. And this son longs, he longs, he desires for this because he's so hungry and no one will give him food. It's not like he's longing for chocolate cake or a burger or something. It's like he wants this thing that's going to just wreck him on the inside. And only when he finds himself in the lowest of lows is he able to see clearly. Matthew nineteen twenty four says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why do we need God if, if we don't think we have any needs? Why do we need God if we could buy whatever we think will fill us up. We can go wherever we want. We can keep up with the Joneses. We can fill all our boxes. Why would we need God? Yet Jesus says, Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I did not understand this verse until this week. Because for forever, I was like, why, why is there joy in being poor in spirit? This does not make any sense to me. I, the Beatitudes are kind of weird. And yet, in the shoes of the sun, we find where this verse rings true. It's only when he 
realizes his need. When he's at a low, a lowest point, he realizes that he is lacking. Is he able to see clearly? That's what this verse means. Blessed are those who realize their need, who realize they are lacking, who realize that they need the Lord. Because then all the walls come crashing down. And so the son realizes the need and he has this plan to go back. We pick up Luke fifteen seventeen. But when he came to himself, he said, Now many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the son rehearses this speech. You know, he goes, okay, here's my apology speech. I'm going to say it to my father, and then maybe he'll let me be one of his servants. Because that would be better than being in this pig pen, longing for these carob pots. So he practices in, probably in front of the pigs. Say, here's my speech, you guys like it? Yeah, he's ready to confess. He's ready to confess what he's done. So he goes to the father. Verse 20, and he arose, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Ever since the son had taken off, every day the father would look. He probably would just kind of put off the work that he had to do. And he would look and watch and wait for his son to come home. And every day, he would look and he would wait and he would go in in the evening and wake up the next morning and he would go and he would watch for him. And the son kind of starts doing a speech. He says, Dad, I'm sorry. You make me a servant. And the father interrupts him. I love that. He doesn't even get a chance to give his full speech. And notice that the father does not give any condemnation or judgment here. He accepts him and loves him with open arms. To love and to care for him. Let me read verse 20 again. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. If you haven't put this together, the father in this story is our father in heaven. The one who longs for his sheep to come home. Yet the challenge and the hard part is that a lot of times we tend to think that we've gone too far. We tend to think that we have made too many mistakes. That the Father is not going to love us when we come back. So why come back at all? That he won't restore me. That he won't love me. Maybe I'll be a servant. But he won't, I won't be a son anymore. Yet he was always waiting with open arms. No other God of any other religion rejoices when someone comes home. No other God receives with that grace, with that love. You know, growing up, I remember 
get, when I'd get in trouble, I'd always have to go back to my dad's office for the lecture of, you know, whatever it might have been. And a lot of times I would leave his office feeling either bummed out or angry or upset or all sorts of things. And for some reason, most of the time, I always remember getting in trouble like at the end of the day, in the evening or whatever. And so I'd lay down in bed. I'd kind of, those nights, you know, go to bed without saying goodnight or anything. And I'd be laying in bed and, and I'd be pretending to be asleep. My dad would open the door and he'd kind of say, hey, Taylor. I wouldn't respond. He'd say, hey, Taylor. I just want you to know. <laughs> I just want you to know that I love you. This is unconditional love that no matter what I did, he was there to welcome me with open arms. And the father doesn't just welcome the son in and say, hey, come back, be my son. Let's, let's go back to our normal life. He throws this great celebration. And there's some great symbolism in the things that he gives his son. He gives him a robe, which was reserved for the guests of honor. This is someone famous who would come. He gives him a ring, a symbol of authority and value of wealth. He gives him shoes, which this one I think stands out to me the most, as the slaves would not wear shoes. But he's saying, you again are my son. And he cuts him, butchers the fattest calf, only for the most special occasions that it was reserved for. And yet, of course, at the end of this parable, we see there's the older son. And the older son hears the music and dancing and celebration and comes in. And he says, what, Dad, I've been here this whole time. I've been serving you. I've been faithful. I've been devoted to you. What? He takes, he wishes you were dead, takes off with your money, and comes back and you throw him a celebration. And the father responds, verse 32, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost and is bound. There's great rejoicing when one person comes to Christ. In the first parable of the lost sheep, Luke 15, 7, it says at the end, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner than 99 righteous people. And in 1510, it says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And in 1532, it says, God, our Father, celebrates. Have you experienced a joy like that? We can search for an entire lifetime and never find happiness in the things of this world. We may wander for a short period or a long period, or we may be walking with God and wandering at the same time sometimes, where we're kind of half in and half out. But we have a God who desires for us to return home. I'm a new father. This is our, this is our child, Finn. That was the, the day he was born. 
a couple more pictures. Uh, this is him a couple weeks old. And this is him maybe a week ago. And experiencing being a dad has been really hard. But it's been unbelievable at the same time. And just thinking about it, you know, of all the things we can pray for for our son, the one desire is that he would come to love Jesus. You know, matters way more than anything he can do or accomplishments he can achieve or whether he becomes a surfer or not. <laughs> you know, we had to, he had to give some blood or draw, they had to do a blood draw a couple weeks ago and the lady's poking around in his arm and he's crying and she can't get blood and she doesn't realize she doesn't know what she's doing and um, just sitting there and boiling up inside and just wanting to take him back and cause seeing him, you know, screaming and in pain and prodded by these needles. It's just brutal. And to think of, as a dad, I already know that I would do everything in my ability to keep him safe, to, to look after him, not let anything happen to him. Yet God, in his love for us, willingly gives up his only son. I couldn't do it. And he offers this invitation for you, for you to be a part of his family. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The price has been paid for your sins, and God is waiting for you with open arms. I had a friend, I didn't ask for permission to share this, but someone once told me it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, so I'm just going to roll with that right now. I had a friend, a dear friend who went to Ukraine um, to help out at orphanage. And he was with the kids, you know, for several weeks. And he wrote a song. You can see the lyric on the screen. There's a love that you can hold on to, waiting with open arms. There's a father who seeks you for his own, to restore your broken heart. So come and drink, and you'll never thirst again. The wording of that has something that stuck with me throughout the hardest times in my life. Maybe some of us here today are in that season of wandering. Maybe we're in need of forgiveness. Maybe we feel unworthy to come home. Or we feel unworthy to go to the Father for the first time. Maybe we're in a lifestyle we don't want to give up. We want these temporary things that will fill us up and, and then pass, but we're enjoying them. Maybe like the prodigal son, substances or fun or partying or 
whatever it may be, is in the way. Maybe we're, we're in none of those seasons, but we're putting some things that may generally be good in the place of God. Maybe life experiences, traveling, relationships, exploring, and we decide to leave God behind. Maybe for some of us, there's some reconciliation that we need to take part in. Maybe it's with your father or with your son. Another family member, a coworker, some guy who goes number two in your yard. Maybe it's your turn to greet with open arms. Or to swallow your pride and acknowledge our sin. Whatever situation you're in, the time to respond is now. Revelation 22.20 says, surely I'm coming soon. The time to do something is now. A few years back, 2015, I had the privilege of working at a Christian surf camp in uh, San Diego. And I met this guy, this camper, high schooler. Here he is. His name's Solomon. Solomon showed up to camp. And everything was really casual, of course, because it was surf camp. Uh, and Solomon was dropped off. He's got like three younger brothers. Uh, he's dropped off by his parents. And he just kind of held, held himself back. He kind of just stood on the side and just watched and didn't talk to anyone. And for the first time that I can ever remember, I felt that I was able to listen and hear the Holy Spirit. And what I heard was that God was telling me he just needs to feel loved. Just needs to feel loved. So we'd walk up the hill. We, were at the, we stayed at Point Loma, Nazarene University, San Diego. And we'd walk up the hill to eat. And you know, we'd do our little worship time in the evening and walk down. And I'd always just kind of hang out with Solomon. And we'd walk down together. And uh, he's kind of quiet at first and didn't really want to hang out with too many people and uh, just would ask him a few questions here or there. And uh, eventually Solomon shared that he felt like every time he would take any step closer to God, something bad would happen. Life would get harder. Tragedy would strike. He thought, why, why would I keep doing that if these bad things keep happening? And why does God allow them? And, you know, what, I was 23 and probably had a terrible answer, but I just remembered that that's what he asked, and, and um, we kind of continued. And during the day, you'd surf together all day, and it was one of those experiences that really bonded you. And uh, on Wednesday night, they kind of had a, a time, you know, where you could receive Jesus. And I just remember, like, just praying. I was like, I was like this would be the best thing ever. And I was, Solomon was sitting a few rows in front of me, and they had the, the prayer time, and, and they said, you know, with your eyes closed, raise your hand if you receive Jesus. And Solomon raised his hand. And the joy that overflowed in my heart was something I had never experienced before. Not even when I did it myself. But seeing someone who looked and felt so lost come to know Jesus 
was one of the best experiences I've ever had. And Solomon the next day was a completely different guy. He was filled with joy. He was joking around. He was talking with people. He was uh, like, uh, like even kind of someone who had been really hurt by girls in the past was interacting with them. Not like a flirty way, but just he was just full, filled with life. That's why Jesus tells these stories. It's not about, there's some other lessons about the prodigal son or the sheep, but Jesus tells these stories so that we may know the joy in heaven when one person comes to know him. The Lord invites you to be his own, to be his child. He wants to clothe you with his robes. He wants to celebrate you and have a feast. Just waiting for you to respond to that invitation. We're going to have some time of worship through music, and I just encourage you to reflect on where you're at. And if you this morning want to accept Christ, want to be part of His family, I'd love to pray pray with you. I'll be in the front. I know it's scary to come up, but just know the joy. In heaven will outweigh any looks that someone may give you, any older brother kind of reactions. But the time to do it is now. To start your life with God. Not for credit of, of this church or for me or for anyone else, but for you, for you to have the chance to experience that joy that nothing else will give you. Pray with me. God, we are in awe of who you are, of how much you love us. God, we are in awe that you would give up your only son. God, we know that no matter how far we've gone, whether a little bit or whether across, feeling like across the world, that you are still there looking for us, searching for us, waiting for us with open arms. God, touch our hearts. Draw us close to you. May we celebrate with you as you celebrate in heaven. Thank you for your love and your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.